hopefully I don't need to introduce myself. But uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate because when Pastor Lucas first mentioned that he was going to be taking a sabbatical, um, he, he gave me first dibs on, on which sermons I wanted to cover. So uh, I got really lucky there. I didn't have to pick through the leftovers. I got to, to get the first pick. And so this was one of the weeks that I decided to take. As you know, uh, as most of you probably know, we uh, started last week a series going through the Ten Commandments. So last week was an introduction to the Ten Commandments. Uh, Dr. Michael Wexler, you might uh, remember him, uh, Old Testament theologian, lots of schooling, got his doctorate and everything. Here I am with no seminary training at all, so hopefully I'll be, uh, uh, be able to, to keep up with that. But uh, So now we're going to start going through week by week of uh, in-depth study of each of the commandments one at a time. So I get the first one, and I'm excited about that. Uh, the, the first one isn't first by accident. God intended it first because everything else depends upon it. If, if the first commandment isn't relevant, then none of the other commandments are, are relevant. None of the other uh, laws that are given later on in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, none of those things are relevant if the first commandment isn't relevant. So before I throw it up on the screen, let's, uh, let's uh, take a, a, a moment and uh, open up in prayer. Uh, Lord, we just <clears throat> want to give this message to you. We pray, Lord, that your word uh, would come through clearly uh, and that it would have an impact on our lives. Lord, be with us. Help our hearts and minds uh, and ears uh, to be open to what you have to speak to us this morning. In your holy name, Okay, so let's uh, go ahead and throw it up on the screen. I don't need you to turn there uh, because it's nice and short. So we're going to throw it up there, and we're going to leave it up as I'm going through some other scriptures so that you can always look back to that to remind yourself what the main topic is. And it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So when God spoke these words to Moses... Uh, the Israelites were in a very different situation than what we find ourselves in today. They had just come out of 400 years of slavery. And while they were in slavery, they were living among a people who were very culturally different than they were. But as you can imagine, when you live with somebody for 400 years, you begin to adopt some of their culture, right? And so they were living among a people who had a culture that worshipped many, many, God. They had a God for uh, the sun, a God for uh, the harvest, a God for the star. They had a God for chaos. They had a God for perception. Even Pharaoh himself uh, was a God. So now they've come out of this circumstance. They've come out of this circle of influence, but they're about to go into the promised land. They're preparing to go into the promised land, But the promised land also is full of people, full of nations that worship many different gods. So it's easy to understand why God make this command the first one. You shall have no other gods before me. But it's more than that. It's not just about the cultural and social situation that they found themselves in. God is about to separate the Israelites. God is about to uh, take them and separate them, make them different 
from everyone else. And the way that he's going to do that, he's going to separate them not only from the Egyptian culture, but from all nations. And he's going to do that by saying, you are going to worship one God. One God, and I'm it. I am your only So he's going to start at the beginning, and he's going to make them unique. Now, before God can separate them, he needs to define exactly what is going to make them separate from everybody else. What is that thing? It's going to be that they're going to worship one God. Their entire civilization is going to be built off of that fact. Now, in verse 2, it's interesting because God actually validates this command and the following command. He validates it first. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He starts it all off by validating himself and saying, this is why I have the authority to tell you this. I am God. Now, like I said before, though, Israel was in a very different set of circumstances than we find ourselves in today, right? So we today might look at this commandment and we might say, well, you know, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. Well, but I'm already a Christian. I'm already a Christian. I, I don't have other gods. I already pray to the one and only true God. I worship him. Um, I'm a believer wholeheartedly. And I don't have any other gods. I don't bow down to any golden calves. So this doesn't really apply to me. I can skip and go on to the next one, right? Well, maybe not. Maybe this commandment has to do with us uh, than you might expect. Do we have gods beside God? Think about your typical day. Okay? How many hours a day do you spend at work? You're at work maybe eight or nine hours or more. And when you're at work, you're spending all of that time focused on your job. Um, Then you come home and you spend one hour, one hour in the word and praying. That would be a lot for any of us, I would imagine. So is that a sin? Is that a sin if we spend more time thinking about our job than we do with God? What about thinking about what we're going to have for dinner tonight? Uh, What if we spend more time thinking about what we're going to eat today than we do thinking about God? Is that a sin? Does that mean that I've put food another God? Is that what that means? What about family? We have to spend pretty much all day focused on our family, especially if we're parents. We have to think about providing for our family. So if we spend more time focused on our family do thinking about God, does that mean that we've made family into a God? What if I have an antique muscle car in my garage, and I like to spend my weekends tinkering on my, on my muscle car? Have I made that into a God if I spend more hours tinkering with my muscle car than I do focused on God? What if I'm nearing retirement? And I focused on my portfolio to make sure that I have enough money saved up so that I can comfortably retire and not have to worry about my finances. Have I made my finances, have, have I made my retirement into a God? I'm called to 
love my family. I'm called to provide for my family, right? My family is my responsibility. So is it a sin? Is it right if I spend more time focusing on my family than I do focused on God in a day? So here's the question. At what point do healthy ambitions, healthy responsibilities, healthy Things become God's. Jesus answers that question in Matthew chapter 6. So I'd like to ask you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Give you a second to get there. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 25. It says this, Therefore I tell you, do not Be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, neither, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So, verse 25, Jesus starts off by saying, don't be anxious. God takes care of creatures that are far less valuable to him than they are. He takes care of the birds. He feeds the birds. He makes the flowers beautiful, and you are far more valuable to him than they are. Now, notice that he doesn't need. He doesn't say you should walk around naked. He just says, don't be anxious about these things. Let's look at verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious. What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? So Jesus says something interesting in verse 30. He's saying, okay, if God is going to clothe the grass of the field, make the flowers beautiful, if he's going to feed the birds, don't think he's going to take care of you, O you of little faith. Jesus, in very characteristic Jesus fashion, heads straight to the heart of the matter. Anxiety is a lack of faith. It's about faith. That's what anxiety is. You're worried about what you're going to eat because deep down you don't think God is going to provide you with food. You're worried about it because deep down you don't believe that God is going to provide for you. You worry about all of these things because Deep down, you don't believe that God is really paying attention, that God is really um, uh, going to provide for your needs. And so that means it's your job. So that means you have to do it. You have to take that responsibility upon yourself. Let's read verse 20, or, uh, 32. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but... But here's, here's the solution. Listen to this. But seek first his kingdom. The, the first seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
So the Gentiles seek after these things, but you shouldn't. The Gentiles are worried about these things, but you shouldn't be. Instead, what you should be doing is demonstrating faith. Demonstrating your faith by seeking God and his kingdom first. That's the key, first. Remember that word, because if there's anything that I would like for you to remember when you leave here today, it's that word first. This is what we're going to be focusing on. We're looking at the first commandment today, and here Jesus is saying to uh, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first. They go together. Now, these Gentiles that Jesus is talking about here, they may not necessarily be heathens. They may not necessarily be bad people. They're people who don't have faith. Maybe they believe in God. Maybe they go to church. Maybe they pray. Maybe they're faithful. Maybe they believe in Jesus. But the problem is they don't seek God first. First. They don't seek him first. There's the distance. Now, it may sound subtle, but there's a big difference between someone who seeks God first and one who seeks him as a backup plan, right? difference between someone who seeks God and his righteousness first and someone who seeks their own ingenuity first or seeks their own plans first. Big difference between someone who seeks God first and someone who seeks the doctor first or their financial planner first. Now, it's not a bad thing to seek after all of these things. It doesn't mean that it's wrong to use the ingenuity that God has given you. We're We're not robots. God has given us... He's given us intelligence. He separated from the animals by giving us these things with the intent to use it. But the problem is when we go there first instead of going to God first. But Jesus is talking about faith. The Gentile that he's referring to is a person who lacks faith and therefore he seeks his own strength. He seeks his own ingenuity, his own creativity, his own solutions in order to provide food and clothing. In the life of people who lack faith, God will always be plan B. He's always going to be the backup plan. Now, how often in life do we choose over planning? Say, for example, you you apply for your dream job. It's the the perfect job. It's right up your alley. Um, You studied for it. You went to school for it. Uh, You enjoy this particular thing. It's close to home, so you don't have to commute very far. And you make a lot of money at it. You get good benefits. And then, just in case you don't get it, you sign up for, uh, you apply for another job. Um, Scraping roadkill off of Devon Avenue. Okay? So time goes by, and you get offers for both jobs. Who in the world is going to take the roadkill job? Who's going to do it? Who's going to take plan B? Nobody. Or what if you're in in the market for a house and you go out and you have a certain list of criteria that you want in your new house. You want it to be in this neighborhood. You want it to be in this school district. And it should have this many bedrooms, this many bathrooms, nice backyard. And here's my price range. That house comes along. It's the perfect house. Comes along. But instead of buying that one, you buy this little shack in a neighborhood that you don't like. Who would do that? Nobody does that. And yet, when it comes to God, our natural tendency is to go to plan B. 
that's our natural tendency. It's our inclination to go to plan B. Why do we do that? He tells us in the first commandment that he is plan A. You shall have no other gods before me. I'm plan A. He gives us everything that we need to live a fulfilled, happy life. And yet our natural tendency is to move away from that and jump to plan B. The plan that we came up with ourselves apart from God. So how do we know if we fall into this category? How do we know if we've put the kingdom of God and his righteousness first? Or if we've put it second, if we've made it plan B? How do we know that we don't have other gods before him? Is it really about the number of minutes, like I mentioned before? So if I go to work and I work eight or nine or ten hours during the course of the day, and if I go home and I spend an hour in prayer and in the word, I've spent more time focused on work. Is that a sin? Not necessarily. Certainly if we love God, we're going to be in the word. Certainly if we love God, we're going to be thinking about him during the course of the day. But there's more to it than that. Let's go to another passage. This is Jesus speaking also. Let's go to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And we're going to start at verse 26. Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus is saying, I have to be first in your life. In fact, I have to be so far ahead of everything else that it seems like you hate everything else in comparison. That's how, that's how much more I have to be a priority than your family. That's how much more I have to be a priority than your own life. If your father or mother is more important to you than I am, then you cannot be my disciple. If your spouse and your kids are more important to, me, uh, to you than I am, you cannot be my disciple. If your own life Health, security is more important to you than I am. You cannot be my disciple. Let's take a look at verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So what does that mean? To bear my own cross and follow him. That means follow him even when it hurts. That means follow him even when there might be some embarrassment or some suffering involved. It means doing it even when it's not easy. And if you're not willing to go there, if you're not willing to follow him when it's not comfortable, when it's hard, you cannot be my disciple. Let's look at verse 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it, Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great uh, way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So, therefore... Any of 
Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So these uh, illustrations can be kind of confusing. What is, what is building a tower and not being able to finish it? What does that have to do with being a disciple? What is a king going out to war against another king? What does that have to do with um, becoming a disciple? Well, Jesus is saying that before you go into it, before you enter into that commitment with him, make sure you understand the cost. If you decide to build a tower, but you don't calculate the costs first, what you're going to end up is a half-finished tower that's worth nothing, and you're going to be broke. If you are a king and you don't know how strong your army is, and you go out to face another army that happens to be stronger than you're in a heap big trouble. So a modern illustration might be, what if I want to start my own business? Uh, It would be a good idea to sit down and calculate how much it's going to cost me uh, to start this business. Now, all of the costs aren't going to be monetary. It's not all going to be about whether I have enough investors or whether I have enough money in the bank to be able to start the business. There are other costs that need to be considered, like am I willing to work twice as many hours as I currently work? Am I willing to take on the risk that I might lose it all if this fails? Do I know how to take, do I know how to find customers? Do I know how to hire people? Do I know what my legal obligations are going to be? Do I have a business plan? Do I know how to negotiate with vendors? How will my business be affected if we hit another recession? All of these things need to be taken into consideration. This is what it means to count the costs before you jump into something. And once you, as someone who wants to start a business, once you've taken these things into consideration, then you can jump in with both feet because you understand the costs and the challenges of everything that you're getting yourself into, and you know that you're willing to take them on anyway. So then you can jump in and take that step. So Jesus is saying before you become a Christian, before you become a Christian, consider the cost. There are costs involved. The cost of becoming a Christian is that you get to relinquish control of your own life and make him first. That's the cost. You relinquish control of your own life and make him first. Now, it sounds simple, but making him first affects every aspect of your life. If you have to choose between following him and your health, you choose following him. If you have to choose between following him and having freedom, you choose following him. If you have to choose between him and your job, you choose him. Between him and your family, you choose him. So is, is he telling us to neglect our families and forget about our families and just kind of sit up on a mountain somewhere and just focus on God all the time? No, he's saying that if we seek his kingdom and his righteousness first, then we're going to be better parents. We're going to be better sons and daughters. We're going to be better Employees, better neighbors, better people. If we seek his kingdom and his righteousness first, then we're going to find joy and we're going to find contentment no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in because there's a bigger goal. There's something else at the end of the rainbow. 
if we seek his kingdom and his righteousness first, we're going to be better equipped to accomplish the tasks that he's given us to do while we're on this planet because we're going to be receiving his help. We're going to be allowing him to feed us the way that he feeds the birds. We're going to be allowing him to clothe us the way that he clothes the grass of the field. And if we seek his kingdom and his righteousness first, then it's going to be a a 24-hour-a-day thing. We no longer have to worry about, okay, you know, am am I spending more time thinking about work than I'm thinking about him? Because when you're seeking his kingdom and his righteousness first, it becomes a 24-hour thing. It's always there. When you make a decision, you're making it based on with God. You're making it based on what you know about the word of God. Right? It is all based about, uh, around him. And so it is no longer a minute of uh, a question of counting the minutes. Because it's an all-time, 24-hour-a-day thing. In a practical sense, it's the difference between saying, this is the career that I want to go to, and saying, God, what do you want me to do with my life? It's the difference between saying, this is the school that I really want to go to, and saying, God, where do you want me to go to school? It's the difference between saying, this is how I'm going to raise my kids, and saying, what does God's word have to say about how I should raise my kids? It's the difference between showing off your muscle car and saying, God, how can I use this muscle car to bring people to you? Salvation is free. Salvation is free. There's nothing that we can do to deserve it. We know that. All we need to do is reach out and grab the gift that he offers us. But even though salvation is free, there's a cost. Even though salvation is free, there's a cost. And the cost is very high because it means everything. It means our lives become centered around him instead of being centered around ourselves. But the payoff is so worth it. Get rid of that anxiety, not be anxious about the future holds because we know that our future is in God's hands. Knowing that our Our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Imagine, you know, knowing that despite everything that we see on the news, all of the injustices, all of the poverty, all of the sickness, all of the disease, all of the aging, all of our own sins and failures, despite all of that, paradise is waiting at the end. And it lasts forever. Maybe God didn't redeem us from 400 years of slavery in Egypt, but he did redeem us from a lifetime of slavery to our own sin. Let's put Romans chapter 3, Romans 3.23 up on the board. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So we've all sinned. We're redeemed from the slavery to our own sin by the blood of Christ. Just like the the Israelites were redeemed from slavery in Egypt, we've been redeemed from slavery to our own sin by the blood of Christ. Even though we sin every day, even though our natural inclination is to select plan B, 
the backup plan? Even though our natural inclination is to be our own lords, our own mini-gods, we're justified. We're made clean by his grace. It's a gift, nothing that we can earn. He paid the penalty for our sins, and that's how he redeemed us. And all we have to do is claim that by putting our faith in him, right? Our faith. It's when we lack faith that we plan B. When we have faith, that's when we go to plan A. That's when he becomes first. That's when commandment number one becomes relevant in our lives. You shall have no other gods before me. It all comes down to what is first. It all comes down to seeking his kingdom and his righteousness first. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that... um, that you are plan A. God, that we don't have to rely on our own ingenuity that fails us so often. We don't have to rely on our own skills and assets that fail us so often. Uh, We don't even have to rely on uh, our own faith that fails us so often. Because, Lord, you are our plan A. And as long as you're there and as long as we can come back to you every time that we fail then we can see paradise. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And Lord, we thank you that that you've blessed us, Lord, that you've taught us your word, that you've given us your word so that we can know how to have faith. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that that you gave us these words uh, so we can meditate on them and learn them and learn how to become Christians 24 hours a day, how to have faith and put you first. Lord, we thank you for all of these things. In your holy name we pray.